0: You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast live at Connect Tech 2022. My name is Rob Osell, and I'm a software architect at Labs. My co-host today is...
1: Uh, Jesse Tomshock, I'm also a software architect at
0: Labs. Today we're going to be talking about React and the seven pillars of a developer, which is a topic I'm super fascinated to find out what that's about. But we're going to be talking about that today with Corey House. Corey is a site author, Microsoft MVP, software architect, independent consultant, and international speaker. Corey,
2: where do you find the time? Uh, I just do a little bit of everything like five minutes of each of those each day I find and then I can use those titles
0: okay there we go so that's our first piece of advice but thank you so much for being here on the podcast today <laughs> glad to be here thank you so as mentioned we're sitting here at connect tech question for you is is you know have you been doing many events lately since things have started to open back up is this your first uh, first event like how have you how have you found it
2: uh, I've been doing events for yeah for a while now once uh, I guess maybe it's almost been a year although there have been some weird bumps along the way. There've been some conferences that I got accepted to and then they were almost canceled. Uh, Some where they basically had the conference because they were contractually obligated to do so. There we go. Yeah. Those things happen. So yeah, there's been some weird times, but things finally feel pretty normal now. Although conferences still don't feel like we have quite the same numbers as we did a few years ago. But otherwise, it's it's just nice to be back in meet space, like really seeing people in person again. I've missed it. It's yeah. definitely in the
1: the early adopter stage of conferencing mm-hmm. where there's like, you know, usually there's like the out, the outliers, the people that are just there because it's convenient. Maybe it's in my hometown, but like mm. people are traveling and searching them out. Yeah. It's really
0: interesting. Yeah, we've been able to meet a few people already in Rock in the Halls and it's been great to see how excited everybody is. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's funny too is um, people aren't trained on how to avoid booths yet either. So there's been a lot of people that are just really willing to not just grab the swag, but they really want to talk. I mean, anybody that isn't, you know, people that are, you know, people through a Zoom call. So uh-huh. uh, it's just been really exciting to feel the energy of not just the speakers, but also uh, the people in attendance who just haven't had meetups or events in quite a while. So a lot of people, this is their first event ever, or this is their first event since everything's gone crazy. So it's it's been really exciting so far. We've enjoyed it.
2: Yep.
0: Well, great. So you are here as as a bit of an overachiever you did a um you are doing a a workshop that you've completed already and you have uh, two talks coming up so first and foremost you have a, a a workshop on lessons that you've learned from the seven years in React. And I'm just kind of curious for people that are here, you don't have to give us all seven reasons, uh, you know, because uh, they didn't pay to go to the workshop, but if you could kind of introduce us to what maybe some of these things are that you were uh, sort of talking through with the, with the people.
2: Sure, so as an independent consultant, increasingly I find people reach out to me because they feel like their teams are in trouble in some way. Mm-hmm. And often there's this sensation that there's a CTO, CEO, uh, some stakeholder who feels like they're they get the sense that they're not getting their money's worth from who they're paying to do their development. Because there's a lot of outsourcing that obviously Mm -hmm, happens mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. So as I've looked at more and more code bases and as I've built apps over the years, I see common threads with mistakes that are made. And and some of the mistakes that are made in React apps are broadly applicable to any application. Like one, for example, that just seems to pop up all the time is this issue of having state that you have to keep in sync. And like we know as developers that we normalize a database so that there is a single source of truth for these things, and if you don't, then it tends to lead to bugs over time as things get out of sync. Well, the same things happen on the front end where I'll see people create a piece of state, say for instance, you've got a list of users, and you'll call that array users. But then you'll also have this separate piece of state called filtered users or Mm -hmm. matching users that holds that matching data after doing a filter, and the problem is now you have to keep those two in sync Later, the code gets more complicated. Somebody doesn't realize those things. So the short answer there is to derive that state, to calculate it instead so that that way you can't possibly mess it up. It's a function that's always called. So you have one source of truth and then a bunch of things that are derived from that single source of truth. So that that was one of the big things that I went by. I, I think the also the, the interesting thing that I'm seeing um, in the React space is this movement toward framework rather than library that React started out so simple. Hey, Create a component, use JavaScript. People understood that. And that's part of why I think it became really successful. But now we're moving into this new era where it's really hard to define what React is because there's all this new nuance around you can do things like server components now. There's getting opinions now about data fetching and caching and the sorts of things that, well, that's a framework. That's not a library. Now it's calling my code. It's putting more opinions in. Uh, As somebody who's been working in React a long time, I like it because they're effectively paving the paths that people have had to go down for so long, but they've waited years to see what those paths look like. Mm -hmm. So the APIs that they're designing now are informed by so many years of usage. So uh, I'm very optimistic about the future.
0: And I know this is your other topic as well about the frameworks, but it's, it's super interesting. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but it's I, people are starting to ask us and when, when we're having conversations like, is anybody even writing vanilla React anymore? With the popularity of Next and Remix and things like that, I think there's yeah. some people that are wondering, and even with the server components, I think there's a lot of people wondering sitting on their single page application that maybe that's been in per, you know been in maintenance since before Hooks was around, mm. and people are kind of wondering, is anybody else like us anymore? I mean, I don't know you know, if you're getting that impression, if the majority of people are moving now to these sort of meta frameworks or things built on top of React, or if there is still a more sizable percentage of people that are like, no, we we still like, use it as a library and things like that.
1: Gosh, I hope not. Like, React as a primitive, I think, is is really the degree where people... Because remember, remember, like, five years ago, you'd pull React, and then you'd pull Babel, and then you'd pull Webpack, and then you pick a router, That's right. and then you... Like, it was... I often refer to it as the buffet of, of things that you would pick and choose. But there was such a, an enormous amount of effort put into selection and composition and compile like just compiling the start, mm-hmm. which was exhausting. Everyone had their bespoke web pack that they kept tucked into Gist and be like, oh, just start with that. What does it do? I don't know. I wrote it years ago. And now this idea of like, I'm, I got to the point of just sheer exhaustion from like, if I have to build this from scratch, get like a greenfield project from scratch again, like if I have to clone this, I'm going to lose my mind. Like I'm so tired of doing this repetition. Mm. Um, and so the meta frameworks to me is like any, like I want more, I want auth built in, I want uh, database, I want Prisma built in, I want modeling built in, I want migrations built in. Like I want to just init start and CLI, like I always um, talk to our boss Tracy about like, you know what Ember was really great because the CLI was just always ready for you to like add a generator, generate a branch, generate a controller, generate a model and like it was always there for me. So now like meta these meta frameworks give me all of that and like it's just paved and I can get mm-hmm. to the business logic 10 times faster than like I spend a week on webpack. It finally works. Don't touch it. Right? It's very fragile. Don't touch. Um mm-hmm. uh, how is your experience in like the meta frameworks and like your experience in these top ones? gone so far because they're they're exploding everywhere right like every week there's a new one Or they merge and then they they re and then they spawn
2: um, how have you deciphered that so there's there's this great problem of too many options which I, I'm optimistic about I like that whole situation I think there's a couple things that I see one thing is Twitter for instance talks a lot about all of these and you can get the sense that there's a huge amount of churn going on but as somebody that's working with a lot of different companies I don't sense much of that churn. Still, the vast majority of companies are using things like Create React App. Like, mm-hmm. That has been the default for so long. And people don't generally move away from those things without a lot of forethought. It is, a, it is viewed as a very dangerous decision to move, especially to move away from something that was built by Facebook. So there's, there's a lot of reason that people justifiably feel that way. Uh, my, my sense is, Next is becoming the new default, though. Yeah. And, and I have mixed feelings about that. There's, there's even a fair number of people that feel like maybe the React team is actually getting a little too attached to Next at the moment, like with the Next 13 announcement and this. We're, but my take is I, I don't actually feel that that's a particularly big concern long term. There's a recognition that anytime you have a massive new feature like React server components, there's going to be one framework that just happens to do it first. And people are seeing Next.js and going, oh, they did it first. Well, sort of, I mean, actually, Hydrogen was working on it long before that. So it's not like Next got preferential treatment and was the only one that's doing it. I mean, ironically, Hydrogen has actually decided to pivot away from server components for now, and that's part of the interesting conversation around Remix and Mm -hmm. the uh, acquisition that happened there. So uh, I feel like where we are is, a slow movement toward frameworks, and I generally think that that's a wise decision. Uh, I mean, if I were to just summarize my talk on picking a framework in React for 2022, it comes down to you should probably use a framework. There are exceptions to it, but chances are most of the stuff that's in the box you're going to end up having to do yourself if you don't choose the framework. And while every framework has constraints, I've found the constraints now in these frameworks are logical, well thought through, because React is far from new, like the, the constraints that are put in now are based on lots of experience in the field. So it's, it's a bright future that way. I, and, and really, I also feel like there's a number of good options to consider. Like I, I can't imagine that a company is going to end up succeeding or failing based on whether they choose Remix or yeah. Next. Or, or Veet, for instance. Veet is, is leaner, and you'd have to pull some things in. But I think all three of those, I would feel completely comfortable building a vast, vast array of applications.
1: Yeah, I don't think you can hang... If if, if you pick a framework and fail in in whatever your, your metric is, you can't hang that failure on the framework. Mm. Like You have made a lot of decisions between that one and the end result, yeah. right? Like, that's not it. But
0: I, I think that one of the things that we're going to be coming up against, if we're not already there, is that you know, going back 2016, 2017, 2018, when kind of Angular React and there was this idea that there's always a new framework every week and this whole JavaScript exhaustion piece comes in. And I think a lot of that was driven primarily by the uncertainty. People would often ask, the most frequently asked and wondered about topic was, what is the best option? Because people want to be on the best. I like to play a lot of video games anytime a new video game comes out everyone goes what's the best server where will the most people be because they you know maybe it's not the right fit but if there's going to be a lot of people there at least they'll have a lot of flexibility and that's kind of where i'm hoping that with a lot of these frameworks at least in the react ones right they're built on this core primitive this idea that it's all built around react so your any skills you develop are more portable than maybe between react and quick and solid and spelt and all these although again there's a lot of portable skills there as well but I'm just hoping that through this podcast through the rest of the things that the content creators we can just sort of steer the conversation away from best and towards like things that how to evaluate them well because that's what I found is that there's some um, some of these frameworks like when I first played with the indie stack and remix it just felt right like everything I wanted to do the answer it was providing was just my intuitive understanding of what that answer should be. But I've talked to other people where they're like, yeah, I didn't really like it as much. I'm much more like this one that's more configuration based or this one that's more convention based. And that choice is great, but people will still ask well, what's the best. And it's hard to tell people, well, who are you, you know, what, what do you, do you like? And I, hopefully we can do that to combat the exhaustion piece. Cause that's the thing I'm worried about with all these choices is that people never get past that best, Conversation and those are sometimes the least interesting blogs, um, even though you know picking one, like you said, is, is probably a good call rather than sitting out this whole era. This doesn't feel like a fad. Oh, agreed,
1: yeah, yeah. I want to pull on this thread about uh, uncomfortableness with next being the sort of de facto idea of uh, or framework for React. Um, I, in my head, I often have this idea of like. I really just want like a Rails or a Laravel for JS. Like something that as a majority we've chosen and then the tooling iterates and gets better within this constraint. Mm -hmm. Um, And Next is doing that and I thought, oh, I should be really happy. And I'm a little nervous only because of the way Next deploys is very specific. Like I can't take Next and deploy 100% of the features anywhere. And that, I think, makes me uncomfortable. But I wanted to see what you thought as far as, like, does it make you uncomfortable that the default is becoming next? Or is a community, like, what have you heard as far as uh, distress or, or concern about that?
2: Well, I think it depends what we mean by default. If If the default is merely next is the most popular option, then that's fine. There's going to be a most popular option. If the default actually has implications around the React team spends an inordinate amount of time, basically tailwags dog, what does next need? We are going to focus on those features. That's the real concern that people are getting at. And frankly, I don't have that concern. And I I think a lot of the optics around this are the only reason that people are are currently feeling that way. If If, for instance, Remix had went farther down this road and happened to have focused on... React server components, then maybe they'd be hearing the same sorts of critiques. I think it's really just a, a coincidence around those things. Like, I really do feel like, though, the opportunity here is to see multiple compelling options that are really hard to pick between, and we're absolutely there today. Like, when people ask me how to pick between Remix and Next, I have to get into a very nuanced conversation there, and some of it is exactly what you were talking about. It comes down a bit to preferences. Like, Remix embraces web standards in a way that I find really attractive, but I also recognize that's partially because I'm an, I'm an old guy. Like, I worked in web standards back when that was the only option was web standards. Like, I was working with the raw, so all this feels like, uh, coming around again and I go, oh yeah, I'll just dust off those old skills and it feels very natural. But for someone else, they may prefer some other abstractions around those things and uh, some other opinions around it. So uh, I, I do I do hope, though, that we're moving a little more in the direction of, of trying to honor standards and the platform APIs just because it reduces the amount of things people have to learn. That's part of what makes Remix really attractive to me is you go in here, you learn these APIs, and guess what? Even if you move away from Remix, you're a better developer. It's it's kind of the same sales pitch that happened with React years ago, where I went, I don't have to learn how to iterate over a loop here. I use map, and map is, so that just made me a better JavaScript developer. So there's no custom syntax for those sorts of things. I, it's so
0: funny too, because you know I made this sort of offhanded comment, but it was really directed more at myself than any particular thing. But I said, as, as React developers, um, you may surprise yourself if you play around with Remix for a little bit or if you try to do coding without a framework at all, that you may not remember the last time you ever actually had a real form that you submitted <laughs> in the traditional sense without prevent defaulting and handling yeah. it all in code. and. You realize that you thought you understood these things deeply, but it's actually been a while. And I think even Ryan and the team that was putting Remix together, that was almost half the fun of making it, was as they were doing it, if you're following them on Twitter, they were like, this is what I learned about now how history works in the browser. You know, What do you think happens if you submit a form, and then really you hit the back button, or you hit the refresh button? What do you think is supposed to happen? And mm. it was really fun to follow along. And I think there's going to be a lot of developers, hopefully, as you said, a, a a growing number no matter which framework they're using which are now um they're not not learning the frameworks but they are now contextualizing that by learning the rest of the platform which i am excited to see more and more whether it's react these meta frameworks or you know quick or svelte or any solid any of the other ones that are popping up mm-hmm. this is a recurring theme that you're seeing is it's like a way to save bundle size because it's already in the browser uh with you so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really excited about that Well, listen, so you were talking about, uh, you know, lessons learned from seven years in React, and we kind of bounced off it to talk the frameworks, but one of the things I was curious to ask you is, how have, if you can think about it, those Uh, Pieces of feedback or those things that you've observed changed if at all from you know the the era of sort of uh, You know the lifecycle events in react through to hooks and now with an eye towards suspense and server components um, Whether that's a a completely different paradigm. Do you find that even these lessons are pretty timeless? Do you think that the things that people are stumbling on are changing now with each sort of era of react or you know How do you have how you see
2: that? Oh, absolutely the the mistakes that people make are at least partially uh, a product of the APIs that they're using. So the mistakes that people made in classes are different than those that they make in function components, for instance. So mm-hmm. uh, I think when when hooks came out in React, there was this perception of, oh, great, we're going to have less bugs because now we don't have to deal <laughs> with people not realizing that this context can be confusing and bindings and those sorts of things. But then we had to deal with stale closures, which was a whole new confusing topic that people hadn't necessarily... <laughs> Stumbled over, at least in React, necessarily. And it's perhaps more confusing to new developers than others, too. So there, there's trade offs there. Uh, so I see some of those. I mean, I look at the, the APIs that we have today in React, and one of the most commonly abused APIs is Use Effect. It is. Yeah. It is unfortunately named in my opinion. It doesn't really mean much. What is an effect and, and what, how do you define an effect? I, like I don't even, the, the new React docs do a much better job of actually laying out when and why you would use it. So I think that's part of why we're here. Absolutely. But there's also a recognition that people have, have reached for it in a lot of things like data fetching because it was just the nature of how else were you going to perform a fetch. I needed to do it once. I needed an equivalent to component did mount. But what's nice is we're, again, we're moving into a world where it's going to be very rare for me to actually use a use effect because my fetching, if I'm in Remix, I'm going to do it in a loader. If I'm in Next 13, I'm going to do it now in a React server component, most likely. I I may do some client-side fetching, but I don't envision myself doing that very much. It's certainly going to be outside of the norm. So in both of those cases, no use effect required. Uh, so, and if, if you really do start looking at the valid use cases, it's a bit like when people start asking about, OK, w- when should I consider uh, using Context or Redux or these other global state management systems? And my, my take is very rarely uh, yeah. they're, they're overused because it's, it's sort of the nature of things that um, use effect attracts overuse because it seems like this Swiss army knife, and it actually is, it's just, it's not necessarily the most elegant way to actually get things done today, given the better abstractions that we have. And in the same way, when people reach for global state management, there are better abstractions too. I look at things like React Query, I'm just a big fan of that, yeah. SWR is a nice alternative. But, but recognizing that if my remote state is handled that tends to cover almost all my global state anyway. The global state that's left is trivial things like who is logged in, what language have they selected, are they in dark mode or light mode, like little things that change rarely and I'm not concerned about the performance implications. So in those cases, I use plain React context. Yeah. It works well.
0: Well, That's another one of those topics too that people that have been using single page you know frameworks for a while haven't really had to encounter is, is really understanding sessions outside of in-memory you know, global state storage. Mm. Uh, so even like brushing off your knowledge of cookies and you know what other types of storage is available in the browsers and on the server itself, I think a lot of people are, again, getting an opportunity to really delve into that where maybe it used to be that one guy on the team that knew the things that had to go in the cookie. He had set it up somewhere at the beginning of the project and nobody else has had to look at it since then. These are going to become things that maybe we understand a little bit more intuitively because you do start to naturally hit these things that spas had maybe made easy for us, but maybe they didn't need to. Uh, or maybe we weren't better for it. Uh, this kind of the session storage is being one of them. But that that idea of the initial fetch is the other. Because, you know, we were sitting around. We had some really senior people sitting around. We were evaluating uh, hooks and we were saying, okay, we know we're really not supposed to be using use effect as, as, you know, Use it as sparingly as we can. And so we said, well, how would you get around this initial fetch? And we kept saying, well, maybe you can make the fetch higher and pass the data down. But at some point, something somewhere is going to need to trigger that first fetch, even if you're going to do some sort of daemon or something that daemon has to get started somewhere. And then we said, oh, well, this would be really easy if it was next or if it was Remix or something, because as you said, it just goes into this loader piece, it's done, and then it comes over the wire, you didn't really need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just where those frameworks do start to feel really good is when you realize that like, oh this is what the core team was talking about when they were saying you know we will learn to sort of evolve past needing to do some of these initial calls this is kind of that future that they were seeing that we were heading down and i think maybe this is starting to make more sense to people mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i just think hooks in general have been one of the most powerful things in react but one of the biggest mistakes so if i was making my list list of seven lessons learned one one ones we talk about and we see a lot in the consulting world is just hooks were so potent and they released so many cool ones right off the sc- off the bat that I think um, some developers created this perception that everything that you would ever use in a component had to be a hook. And so we saw simple utility methods turned into like use utility method and you would dig through it and you're like, this doesn't use a built-in hook anywhere. Mm. In what way do you consider this to be a custom hook? And they say, well, because it has use at the front of it. And they <laughs> thought everything that goes in a component has to say use something. And, yeah. Again, I don't necessarily think that's a problem with the, the core team, except insofar as hooks were just so valuable and there were so many useful ones right off the bat that I think that overwhelmed a lot of people that were learning. And so a lot of what we've taught, even some really senior developers, is like just because it's in a React, it doesn't have to be a hook. Not everything has to be a hook is one of mm-hmm. our our seven lessons. I don't know if you, you see this a lot too, but
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Like I'm I'm a big fan of I, I think about it this way that As much as I can, I want to write pure functions. Mm -hmm. And when I say pure functions, I really mean functions as much as possible that are outside of my React components at all. If I have logic that I can, like when you talk about utilities, I have a utilities folder. And inside of there, I have pure functions. Given this input, I get this output. They're easy to unit test. And if I ever moved away from React in theory, I could reuse those again. Not that that's honestly the reason that I do it, but it is another potential benefit. To me, the real reason is as much as possible, i like for my React components to just be JSX. Mm-hmm. Like the, trivial to understand and trivial to work with. Uh, given these props, I get this output. Again, easy to unit test those sorts of components too. So the, then there, there's always going to be an aspect of logic, but it's, it's nice that we're moving into a world where we know where the fetch goes and we know where pure logic can go we also know that we could use things like use reducer and that can end up handling my state management again in a pure function so you can be in a situation where every little piece can be unit tested and plugged together like Legos really satisfying
0: yeah I mean it's another thing that we talk about a lot is that like one of the lessons is we recommended a lot more of decoupling concerns we said that it seems like a lot of times people are so um, the, the, the DRY, dry, the Don't Repeat Yourself mm-hmm. mantra, won over developers. It was, it was so catchy, right? Anytime you get a good acronym like that, a good abbreviation, people love that. No. Um, but it really um, caught on. And one mm-hmm. of the things that we would often see is people in a race to not repeat themselves would actually make code that was more tightly coupled. Um, They would, like, extract code wholesale into another function. It wasn't a concern they took out. They didn't extract something that could be separately understood. It just made this thing smaller, and I was going to, I believed, use that exact block exactly as it was somewhere else, which inevitably is never where it ends. So then that piece of code turns into this if tree of if I'm using it in this case, do this, if I'm using it back in this other case. And so I've often told people that, like, Whenever they come to me and they say, well, I'm gonna have a bunch of different components that are all gonna be very similar to each other, I said, sometimes I tell them, just start with one different ones for every single place you're gonna use it and let them show you which parts of them are actually similar across them. Hmm. And maybe those are your new utilities or your new hooks or your new shared components. But if you start from one component and you try to force all of them to have that similar api you get into that really weird situation where maybe it works for the launch but you really don't like yourself on
2: the first post-launch release i've certainly seen that problem before like in theory recognize that you could create an entire react application with one component that accepts hundreds of props given this prop it does this completely different thing like imagine how awful that would be but i have seen and people recognize that would be awful but there are effectively components that do that like you set this one setting and you get this 180 degrees different behavior like completely bizarre and you go no this is really two things and this is no different than the conversa- conversation around functions when is it makes sense to have two separate functions well what that's a nuanced conversation i could add another argument or should i Extracted two. So I, I do see that. Now, I'll say related to what you said, one of the most common problems I'm seeing among teams, especially those that are struggling is, I say, show me your reusable components. And then they point at their components folder. And I go, you're telling me everything in that components folder is reusable? Well, no, but our, we have reusable components in that folder. I say, well, how do I find them? Well, this is one, and this is one, and they point at parts of the screen and go, but how do you, as a development team, how do you know that those are reusable? Because any time that I'm about to implement something, I should at least ask myself, okay, I'm about to use a button. Do we have a reusable button? Where would I find that button?
1: Under the components directory. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And, And when we say this, it sounds obvious, but honestly, Again, React doesn't have opinions on this, so if the team never had a conversation to say, what is our standard for reusable components? Where do we put them? How do we document them? Maybe we should put them in Storybook. Maybe we should require uh, really solid unit tests on these, even if we're not doing unit testing elsewhere. Because, again, that's the other thing I see is teams often talk about testing, but often don't do it at a level that they even admit they'd, they'd like to for various reasons. But I do think it makes a lot of sense to at least have a higher bar for quality for reusable components just because of the amount of surface area that they, they cover.
0: From the testing piece, you know, I, I think React Testing Library did a lot. Uh, in this, or just I guess just now testing library Mm -hmm. as a family of of technologies really did a lot to try and get people um, to a different mindset when it comes to testing. But I feel like a lot of teams now, especially as Cypress and tools like that become more, more, more powerful and more widely known, I think the community is separating and teams are separating off of where to focus their effort. Some people really still want to do that sort of smaller focused component based testing, mm-hmm. um, but either find it very frustrating because of the amount of dependencies their components have or don't find it useful because they feel like most of the functionality is in the integration or the the, the way that the components work together. Mm-hmm. Other people say we should do everything on end to end, but then they quickly run into how complicated those those setups can be and how expensive and long those those test suites take. So I guess, what are you sort of seeing and where are you on the balance of testing practices and what teams should be doing, especially the ones that really want to be testing or say they want to be testing, um, but you know, yep. they just haven't had time or they just don't know. Everybody says going. they want to be testing.
1: <laughs> right. We all want to be testing. Right.
2: Exactly. It, So I will say my experience is colored by the fact that as a consultant, people tend to come to me because they know they have a problem. So I don't know how much my experience is clouded in a negative light. But frankly, most of the teams that I work with are doing little to no testing. If I had a lot of testing
1: and a good solid App. I'm probably not going to call you.
2: Yes, that's that's the thing. So that said, the people that call me if they're doing testing, they tend to be doing unit testing and often in a very anemic manner. And an example of that would be: okay, I've got testing library and Jest set up here, and I do things like say I pass these props in, and then I look for the text, and I don't necessarily I say get by text, get by text. I'm not even checking to see whether that text is in the right spot or whether it displays only when I set this prop or when I toggle it and it should hide, all those sorts of things. So when I think about unit testing a React component, I tend to do this. I will split VS code left and right. On my left-hand side, I will have the system under test, which will be a React component. On the right-hand side, I have my test. I go look at the component's props. Now, I tend to work in TypeScript, so I go look at that TypeScript definition. I say, okay, we have three props here. That first one is a string. Well, what happens if I pass in a valid string here? Oh, it turns out that's actually The second one here has a Boolean that determines whether I end up showing this other piece. If the Boolean's false, then this renders. If it's true, then it doesn't. So I will have a test that checks both of those. And I'm just looking at all those permutations. Now, by doing that, I tend to get pretty good code coverage that way. And I like this side by side because I'm informing what I need to test based on the public API of that component. Now, to your point, though, the hard thing about in-browser testing is the moment I go down that road, oh crud. Uh, Most teams are dealing with shared mutable state. And by that, I mean Mm -hmm. they are sharing a database in their development environment. Occasionally, I work with teams where every developer has their own database, which sounds like a, a nice step in the right direction, but virtually none of those teams have a common data set for Mm -hmm. those databases or an easy way to say with a single script in a second I can completely reset that database those are what you need as a foundation then so that you can actually write your application tests and trust that the data will be the same on Monday as it is on Friday so what I tend to do with a lot of these teams is set up mocks and I like to lean heavily on mock service worker I think it's a fantastic library and I'm actually working right now on an open source project. I haven't actually published this to NPM yet, but my working name is Switchboard, and it's this idea of a React component that contains settings for configuring mock service worker, for doing things like saying, I want to configure a delay on this one call, or I want to override the response from this call. It normally would return an array of users, but I want to actually mess up the JSON that it returns so that I can simulate what my application does if it receives an unexpected response. So that's why I call it Switchboard, because imagine that you have this custom set of switches for your application that can change the way that your APIs respond to you and you're doing that by actually just configuring mock service worker and so i've been doing this for clients for a few years and it is so much fun like you can code yeah. so quickly and like i'm somebody that goes to a lot of conferences i travel to do training i'm on planes a lot mm-hmm. i do not need internet to do my job because i am mocking all of these calls anyway and i'm controlling them i'm running tests and so my, my workflow tends to be open up Cypress. or here lately i've been uh, actually using playwright which i am loving like microsoft's doing a wonderful job here wow Uh, i I would highly recommend for people to give it a look because it is quite compelling second for me that yeah
1: it's blown my mind
2: yeah Uh, so but but nonetheless my, my workflow tends to be open up cypress or playwright have the application sitting here and then my goal is not to manually click or type i should be using my tests to instrument the application And this is especially useful if you've got long forms or multi-step forms. Like, as a developer, I shouldn't be jamming in keys and having to do all that. No, just watch the test do it, and now I've got test coverage, and I've got a faster feedback loop, because it most certainly automates the browser faster than I can interact with it. So it's it's a double win that way.
0: Yeah, for those types of things when you make features and you want to make sure that you can retest all the functionality that's already existed, um, you know, when I work with teams and we have nothing, usually that's where I say it's like, can we start with if we're gonna do end-to-end testing, can we start with at least the manual test suite that we were running? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, at least we know we wanna do those ones, and if that can just make us faster so that you know I can run them and every change I make instead of once 10 changes are put together, that's at least gonna make all of us feel a little bit better um, mm-hmm. when we get to that point. Even if you still do the manual testing on top of it, um, you, you still get that value. Well, listen, your last talk, I'm super interested to just kinda of get an introduction to this is the seven-pillar developer. What are you going with for with this talk? It's sort of been, it sounds like an interesting, you you sort of say it's a story oriented session. We won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, but can you get a sense of kind of what led you to to bring up this topic to the conference?
2: So I've been thinking about, I feel very lucky about where I ended up in my career. Uh, I get to travel a lot. I love travel. I get to speak at a lot of conferences. I, I make more money than I would have ever thought. I mean, developers in general are well paid. It's it's a wonderful <laughs> career that way. I I really love learning, and I feel like I get to say yes to the projects that matter to me and no to the things that don't resonate. So that that to me is is a, a lot of reasons that I just feel very grateful, and I want to try to help people, um, you know, create a life that they really enjoy. So what the whole point of the talk is sharing some of the stories and really the life processes that I found useful for staying up to date, for increasing my luck surface area. I love this term. I can't oh, remember I like the guy who lot. said yeah. it, but I'm a big fan of that idea. And uh, effectively, a, a lot of what we can do as developers is increase our luck service area by improving, or I should say, increasing the number of people that know what we're good at. So years ago, the I made a very hard decision. I was a Microsoft MVP. I was working in C Sharp. I was really enjoying what I did, but I was also doing front-end development. And at the time, I was working in Angular and React and Knockout. Like, there was a, a little oh, mixture as I was jumping between old projects and new ones. Yeah. Oh, you like Knockout, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Steve Sanderson is a wonderful guy. Deep deep, yeah. feeling, deep, <laughs> deep reminiscent feelings for Knockout. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, but I was at that place, and I'd, uh, I'd really recognized that if I was going to move my career to the next level and be independent, I needed to be specific. That people were not going to Google for developer right. or C-sharp developer. Like I needed to find something that was both hot and specific. And at the time I I had gotten into React right when it was open sourced and my boss gave me a lot of leeway I chose React when honestly it would have been an easier choice to choose Angular. Like Angular yeah. was the behemoth JS, when React oh, came yeah. out. Yes, yeah. and it turned out that that worked out really well. But because of that, I just organically I started blogging a lot, tweeting about it, getting more and more opportunities for training. And the I remember it was a very very tough day. It was the day that I realized I said, "Okay, I'm just going to draw a line. I will not accept any work that involves the back end anymore." I am going to because yeah. i frankly i decided there's no way that i can get world class at the front end if i'm cutting myself like half time between back end and all these other things because frankly there's a lot to keep up in any given area and even today so i've been working in react Jesus i'm coming up on a decade now that it's been around and i've been following it since it was open source so even now there are a number of significant libraries that I don't feel like I know well enough and I just because every single day there is something to learn and keep up with so there's a recognition like you could niche down one of the most uh, successful consultants that I know is a AWS security consultant yep. not just security but AWS, AWS security, security. Yep. like that is his bag and he, he is a very busy successful guy right now
1: because if, if you need it you, we've you had need hours it. of yeah. AWS security talks and it's only like the middle of the week. <laughs> it is it is such a, a glacier in the middle of everything you need to do. You're just yeah. like but oh, as do you, said. you have a policy for that? And she's like, Oh my no, no, come on. I don't know what the policy is.
0: But if, but if you need to find somebody, that's what you're doing, right? That, you're not yep. looking for back-end security. You're yeah, you're not. Yeah, GWS you're certainly AWS not looking for general so.
1: security. You're, yeah. I'm on this platform. I need this policy. Right. Uh-huh. It's very or that blog or yeah. that video or that whatever. or that tutorial. Right. That sort of niche that you, you, I think you really hit on something. I really
2: yeah.
1: Uh, speak to that. The like the generalist in me wants to play with everything though. So how uh-huh. do you do? You have the self will to push that stuff aside, like, not to get into GraphQL or Rust or Go or, like,
2: how to stay focused? So there's one thing that I do is I have a Trello board called Stuff to Learn. And every time that I see something that I want to learn, I throw it on that board. And this cute. like, if you saw it, it's, it's embarrassing how long the list is. Like, man, I... I, I it the list honestly just keeps growing because i can't i can't Keep pick up, it all right, so yeah. effectively but what's nice about this is i'm forced to prioritize so yes like the moment graphql went out i'm like oh man i want to go deep maybe i want to be a react graphql consultant instead and so but i recognized i went ah you know i that's that's a big risk too so i i know graphql i enjoy it but i do not claim to be the expert there are good people that i lean toward when um who happened to teach me at other conferences and wrote their own books and things. So I, but the reason that I use that board is by putting it on there and by dragging the cards around and visualizing my potential backlog, it forces me to think about the trade-off is if I go learn this thing, it means I can't learn this other thing that's actually more important for my day-to-day. Because if my goal is to help teams transition to React and help elevate the work that they're doing, the quality and the velocity of their teams, then I have to run anything that I learned through that filter.
1: And the GraphQL card may lose. It's interesting that you take the emotion, because I run, I feel like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> Emotionally, I'm exhausted running yeah. from bin to bin going, oh, yeah, this is great. This is hot. This is amazing. I want to, what's yeah. that over there? And then I run over there, and this is shiny and new. Yeah. Uh, that, just that idea of writing it down and evaluating it arm, arm's length. Um, and taking some of the, the shine and emotion out of it and putting yeah. it through the filter of like, do I really, is this, am I going to need this? Because um, I don't need the three Rust books I bought that sit on the floor next to me. They just sit there and stare at
2: me. <laughs> um. Well, and what, what you're talking about there is also, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a It's a feature, not a bug, that you are that way. That's part of what makes you great as a developer. There's also this recognition, though, that as a developer today, we really, to be successful, we have to, filter out the vast majority of things and focus on a few things that are relevant at any given time because, and and this this happens with any problems that we need to solve. We have to say, I could go research to solve this in the most amazing way. Like an example of this, I just converted Cypress tests over to Playwright. Mm. And when I did that, I Googled a bit because I was just seeing whether there's a quick way to do it. And somebody found a way to use AI to convert between using Dolly. Uh, to do so, and they even documented how to do it. And I looked into it a little bit, and I spent about twenty or thirty minutes trying to get it to work, and I couldn't reproduce what he did. And I went, okay, so I could spend another couple hours, or honestly, I've got fifty tests here, and I could just brute force it in the next <laughs> hour and a half, and that's what I chose. Probably
1: better see your time. Yeah.
2: Probably better, but these are all the hard trade-offs when you're curious. And I'm like, well, I'd like to learn more about AI. This sounds like fun, and yes. I could brag about how I did it with AI. But, right. Well, yeah.
0: I mean that's why I like talks like this and people should definitely check out the recording most of the time Connect Tech puts these recordings on but I like this idea people have been asking for more wisdom based talks hmm. and you know i think that maybe you could maybe put that in opposition to like sort of self-help or sometimes people talk about like pseudoscience people that like give this sort of empty platitudes work hard and you know just keep grinding that kind of stuff wisdom talks are different i think just the longer you're a developer the more you talk with more developers you can find yourself keep running through these themes over and over and you're like hey if it's valuable to me maybe it'll be valuable to other people and i think as people are mid developers to senior developers you know this is the kind of talk that they want to Clue in on It's not mm-hmm. necessarily nuts and bolts, but like it's going to give you some stuff that it's going to maybe tie together things that you know, but you hadn't thought of them together. But you know, very rapidly we're approaching the end of this conversation. Um, you know, these conversations go really quickly. But can you tell everyone where they can find you and engage with you online? Sure you them thing. Any place you want to send them.
2: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Housecore, H O U S E C O R. I'm at uh, Pluralsight, that's pluralsight.com. You can find I have about a dozen courses out there on React, JavaScript, C Sharp, and a careers course called Becoming an Outlier as well. Uh, you can find me on my blog at bitnative.com. And hopefully, I'll see you at a conference soon because I enjoy them.
1: Do you have a Mastodon handle?
2: Mastodon? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. apparently behind the times. So that's next. It's right. Hours behind. <laughs> hours behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. That's it for us today. Thank you for listening to this Modern Web Podcast on development as well as React. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Corey. Uh, As we say, the conversation does not stop here. You can find Corey on Twitter at HouseCOR. So that's H-O-U-S-E-C-O-R. As
1: for my co-host, Jesse, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, You can find me at j. T O M C H A K J Tomchalk on Twitter, and I don't have a Mastodon handle either.
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Robocell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at ModernDOTWeb.com or on Twitter at Modern.Web. Thanks, everybody. Hope to see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by This Dot Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T H I S D O T dot c-o slash labs. For all of your friends and you, do 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 yay, query, yay, query, shout
2: it, yay, yay. Query too, so come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.